connecting to the AOC Podcast Network. Enjoy your stay. like to just welcome everyone today for tuning into the Cado podcast and welcome my guest Gretchen Faust. Hi. Lovely. I'm so to glad you could come. You drove all the way into New Orleans so we could visit again. Yes. <laughs> it's a beautiful day. I feel really lucky to take time to do this. And so while we're here, I uh, was able to twist your arm <laughs> and get you to uh, do a podcast. So why did you call me originally, and when did that happen? Do you remember? Yeah, it was last year in September. My friend Aubrey and I were working on a project exploring um, healing in southern Louisiana and um, with folks that identified as women, and it was called Holding Space and exploring kind of all the different ways that people hold space for each other and take care of each other in community. Right, and I, uh, I would tease y'all because I said I also know some men that do this, but y'all chose to focus on women, and I was so excited to be a part of that. And the project is still in the making, and it I can't wait to see what it will be, how many projects will come out of that work. Yeah. Y'all were artists in residence at Tulane. Yeah, at the within the adaptions program at a studio in the woods, and it was wonderful for me to go there um, because I felt like I was at home because it was full of cypress and it was in the woods and it was like so exciting because you all invited us to share a day with some of the other people and it was wonderful to know that there are a lot of people in South Louisiana that do healing work in all kinds of forms and I think sometimes when you do it you're not necessarily connected, and so you, everybody feels in a way like the Lone Ranger, and is anybody getting this? And so to have you and Aubrey pull us together was big for me personally, so I want to thank you for that. Yeah, no, it was so amazing to see how many different ways of expressing knowledge and sharing information yeah. can happen. Um, I'd like to ask, what do you do? What do I do? I mostly, who are you? <laughs> yeah, who am I? I've lived in New Orleans for close to eight years, and I center my life around working with plants or working with my hands and being creative, and then also trying to connect with people. So I work as an herbalist, and I also work um, doing illustration work or in film, and then I also feel like I. I work with people day to day and just within their stories or connecting with them in some way. So I'm not wanting to pin you down, but give you a even more expanded, but I would just want to understand. I said yes to y'all. I don't care what you did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause it's an opportunity to share about healing and not just from my perspective, but from the perspective of 50 women and two women who are pulling this together. When you say you work with plants, do you have a degree in botany or? No, I don't have a degree, but I've studied with several herbalists. Okay. And then I 
I study on my own. So did you ever did I ever introduce you to Rebecca Henry? No. Well, I want you to meet Rebecca Henry. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> she lives in Opelousas and she has a cultural center and she knows everything about plants because she's been in the woods, mm-hmm. you know. And so there's some people that learn about plants by learning about them in in academia, and she's like been hands on forever. And I did spend a lot of time in the woods. And so I refer people to other people when it comes to using plants in medicine. But so many people now who do study in academia want to meet people who have this kind of hands-on experience of being with plants in their natural setting. So at some time in the future, I want to introduce you to her. Yeah, I'd love to meet her. I feel, yeah, hands-on experiences probably the most valuable compared to any academia i feel like okay so do you do you have a degree in anything yeah i studied urban studies and art and then i also have a master's in visual anthropology and media wow i never knew that yeah i have a degree in anthropology yeah (laughs) that's just so cool um which doesn't mean you can have a real job but it yeah, means you know I know. A lot that yeah, you create your own job. <laughs> it means I'm really curious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, what I wanted to ask, or I wanted to give you my uh, my dilemma, maybe my issue, um, why I don't use plants in my healing practice, is because people don't always listen. Mm-hmm. You know, most of my people go to the doctor, and the doctor says, "Here's an antibiotic. Take it for ten days." They take it for five, they feel better, and they don't get the full effect. Mm-hmm. Like if they're not going to listen to the doctor, why would they listen to me? And because people sometimes think or they believe or have some that it's natural means it's not powerful. You can hurt yourself with some of that. Yeah. So I don't use it in my practice, but I refer to others. And, and you and I met at, uh, you also brought me to see um, Rosalie. Mm-hmm. Which is a... It's a herb store in New Orleans by Bayou St. John. So people are starting to do this on their own. Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole need for knowledge that's not in medicine, but, but it works with medicine. Like, I don't think what I do is opposed in any way. I have doctors. They're my friends. So can you speak to that because that's you're involved yeah. in Yeah. Yeah, I think herbalism is really powerful as a preventative medicine and also in an integrative setting. Um especially cuz it allows people to kind of take care of themselves and have more agency if they want to commit to kind of um as you say like following through with taking medicine in general. It kind of is it's a gentle way of taking care of yourself without heavy prescriptions and it has a lot less side effects while there's still really strong herbs that can be really powerful and that you have to be very respectful with working with. There's the majority of herbal medicine is pretty gentle and um, really accessible for a wide population. It's just exciting to see people take their health into their own hands today. Yeah. And that's what I think is very cool. Um, um, when when we went there, it, it 
it was amazing because now they're expanding and they're having an area where they're going to also at Rosalie have a... Yeah, there's a clinic where people can have consultations and then there's also a kitchen or and a, a classroom. So they're going to share knowledge. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's just like um, I'm 65 and that wasn't available to my knowledge back then. And so in the area of Acadiana and Lafayette specifically, I live in Scott. There was a time when people here understood the herbs mm-hmm. and and used them because it was common knowledge. A healer was only someone who had a prayer that went with that, kind of like everybody was an herbologist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then we disconnected. Yeah. And, and so how... Or people who are as young as you, how are you reconnecting to the earth? Do you find people who like Rebecca Henry who do this and know this and mentor? How do you? How did you learn that? How did I? Yeah, how I got interested in it. Well, I've always kind of spent a lot of time outside as a kid, and I've always been right. really. I think that was always my happiest um, memories of being just looking at plants, but. I, so I part. I grew up in California, and then I also grew up um, spending summers in Kentucky, and where a lot of my ancestors have a really strong connection to the land there, and um, either by working the land or mining or just living off the land. And my great grandmother was a midwife, and she would um, travel by mule throughout the the mountains delivering babies and um the mountains of kentucky considered appalachia yes mm-hmm. yeah i only think of that as like west virginia or yeah but okay so yeah. i just want to get so there's a there's a huge like here there's a huge connection to the old ways but we kind of all got disconnected a mm-hmm. bit, so you were able to yeah, root yourself in that. Yeah, because my one of my great aunts would teach me how to um, weave baskets, or she was she's an amazing gardener and would just show me all these incredible tomatoes or green beans and corn that she would grow. So it was very, it was kind of at the same time. It was like living in two different worlds. Like I would go to California and people would be like, "Oh, like eat organic, eat local," whereas my family in Kentucky just did that naturally. Uh, naturally. Exactly. And it wasn't a fad. It was just, this is my, it was their lifestyle. It, it was a necessity. And so that was like, had always been pretty influential. Mm-hmm. Um, but also uh, I had started studying seriously or studying herbalism seriously with Phyllis Light and, um, northern Alabama and Arab Alabama. And so the Appalachian Mountains go from um, northern Alabama all the way up to New York. And um, some of her practices were also things that would happen in my family as well. It's common practice among the whole Appalachian Mm -hmm. region. So, yeah, studying with her has been really amazing just to kind of tap into more of that knowledge that is within my family, but was also lost within, um, I think it started dying out in around World War II. And I remember my aunt would even talk about that, of being um, 
like going to some of my other family to my like to my own grandmother's house and how she was more interested in modernity because it was a social status of like eating jello or buying food from the store and not and not cooking greens from your backyard. Right. So there was definitely that kind of push away from the land because it it represented that you didn't have material goods and it, it I find it amazing and I'm going to share some of what I think and you tell me if you understand what I'm saying or maybe there's a, a, a larger basis for what World War II allowed us to become open to the rest of the world because a lot of our men went to Europe mm-hmm. and then we also wanted better than what we had so there's some concept or some thought that if you go to the hospital and it's sterilized and we understood the work of Louis Pasteur, and we could have these wonderful wonder drugs, then everything is going to be fine. Yeah. And without meaning to, we abandoned care. We abandoned the rest that it takes for someone to recover. We abandoned poultices. We abandoned the old ways of however we tended to each other's needs. And we, I don't think we intentionally abandoned it, but we just, oh, this is going to take care of all that. And, you know, it didn't. And so there's a big uh, respect for what was and, and, in, and in a way of bringing it back, and that's what I see you doing. And so thank you for that work because if somebody doesn't do it, it will be lost. Yeah. It, well, it's, it's strange that we, we live in a world that what could be so natural is so alien at the same time of something that you could see every single day. You, you don't know the name of, you don't know how you could use it and you could just cut it down and not even think about it. Right. But it can be so powerful and meaningful and your ally in so many different ways. And that's what it, that's kind of what, whenever I travel, I try to try to, learn at least a few plants of that place to really connect with it and see like, Oh, there's, I mean, I'm also a a white um, American. So I feel like there's so much loss of so much knowledge. And that was held in cultures. Yeah. That was held in cultures, but that has been disseminated. And so one of the things that um, I I know that, that I hear you saying is, as you go to different places and learn about plants, those same plants don't live where you come from. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when the people here talk about our French connection, and we have ancestors from France, some of them came directly here, and some of them went to Canada and came here later. The plants that were in France are not the same plants that are here and are not the same plants that are in Canada. So every time you move, you have to talk to the indigenous people and find out the knowledge that they have with them because they know what is medicinal and they know how medicinal and they know what is its use. And and so we are in some kind of way disconnected Mm -hmm. from the earth because we don't need agriculture the way we did. When when your grandma and, like, my grandparents did the same thing, they had a farm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... I was talking to my cousin's children, and they were saying, well, I don't see why there's not a Whole Foods in Lafayette. I'm like, 
Well, I don't know if we could support that. <laughs> because when you look at the movement of health food, then you have to put a bigger price tag on everything they sell. Well, we just ate what was in the garden. There's no more garden mm-hmm. unless you grow it in your own yard. But the farm is not there, and the my you know there were like seven or eight fig trees, and he grandpa had he raised big crops like corn and cotton, but he also had a huge garden and. And my grandmother's job was to put all that up. So it was how the family was fed, and it was how the family made a business with the with the cash crops. But my grandmother lived on a road with her siblings, and they were all farmers, and nobody farms anymore. So when my children were born, I would bring them to visit one of my cousins. At least we could ride a horse with him. So we have to reinvent agriculture? Mm-hmm. Or make it more accessible to do Like reinvent it, like letting it be in urban settings? or Yeah. And uh, my daughter was very much into that, and, and she called it sustainable living. And I would look at her, and I would know what she wanted to do. But in my mind, I'm thinking... Well, listen, Grandpa Pop had a form, but you don't have a form and you don't know about that. So I, I couldn't fathom how, how can we come to sustainable living if the experience of form life doesn't exist and you're building that bridge. Well, I don't know how it... Or you I don't, don't know have what it's going to look like, yeah. but you're trying. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I, especially in Louisiana, there's or even within my own community, will try to do something, but then at the same time it it feels futile in comparison to how much you're up against and how much is going to just make it ten times harder to make it how you would want it to be. Just in the sense of like how polluted things are or how things are regulated and, or just in, in, um, an equal access to resources to make things happen. Um, it can be very challenging, but I think I'm really inspired by folks that are able to create these community gardens because they're so beautiful and it's so hopeful and it brings so much light, but I don't know. I wish I knew like a certain formula, but it's also, um, it only works on block by block basis on what are the needs of. But what I'm saying is that the the people like you and the people, my daughter had a form. Yeah. She made goat milk soap and she raised goats and like the individual efforts are going to keep alive the hope until we can come. It's a cre. I see it as a creative process. And so I just thank you for your effort in, in keeping something alive that we can see how we can sustain or how we can yeah. make it be a part of our lives. I just think it's, uh, my daughter had a degree and she was in the military and she worked for a, a big company that, that dealt in government contracts and she quit all that to come back home and have a form in Leonville. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I never had a big career. I just do little jobs, and I'm all I'm okay with that. But I'm thinking, how many bars of goat milk soap 
<laughs> are you going to have to make and sell to pay your rent? Yeah. But I was never discouraging, but there was nothing. I was a cheerleader in one way, but in another way, I'm like, well, I hope you can do this because my grandpa, he had a whole form and it wasn't easy. So I just applaud all the efforts that are being made today by by the people. And she studied yeah. with some of these herbologists that you know. And uh, there's there's a whole field of knowledge. And and the word sustainable is is big because if we continue to deplete, then we won't be able to sustain what we have. Mm-hmm. So I just thank you for what you do. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> thanks. <laughs> and so in your adventures, you meet other healers who don't work with herbs. Mm-hmm. So what was the incentive for the project that is yet to, mm-hmm. what, what was that, what was your goal in that part of the project? Um, and why did y'all yeah. pick Louisiana? Yeah, mostly because Louisiana, I mean, the sea levels are rising. That's And there's a loss of physical land. And if there's no land, then there's a loss of culture. And it's such a beautiful and distinct culture. And I think my, a huge reason for me living in New Orleans and in Louisiana is because of its people. And it's they're just so beautiful. Um, so that's why we were focusing on these, on this place and, and these people. And the reason to, to expand it, to have like an open definition of what healing means is because to kind of distinguish that there's so many different ways to heal and that it doesn't have to be so arbitrary and that people need different things and to kind of um, recognize that and also celebrate it and see that there's so many different possibilities and right. something can be so healing as just like going on a walk or it could be having a mediation or working through grief with someone and holding space and, or even just going out and, um, and partying could probably save your life, you know, sometimes depending on what's going on. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I feel like, um, we, yeah, that, that's why we wanted to make it open. And when y'all, um, y'all brought together some of the people that you interviewed for the project, and we still don't know what the project is going to mm-hmm. be, and that doesn't matter because you start a project, and it's going to be what it's going to yeah, be. Yeah, it evolves. But I got to meet a woman who makes soap. Mm-hmm. And I was very much thinking of my daughter. And I know that there were some people who used Dana's soaps who told me their skin got better. Mm-hmm. There were some that had particular essential oils or oatmeal or particular things that are known to help your skin. But I also know that my daughter had training as a healer, and she infused everything she did with her own healing brand of love. And... And these people are sharing their own brand of healing with whatever they do, whether it's making um, tinctures or making soap or or herbs to use in cooking or gardening. So it's it's also a way, now that I'm telling you this, it's a way to share love. Mm-hmm. That I never th- And we never think of farmers as lovers, you know, just to keep them down on the farm. Maybe they were up 
They were higher up being on the farm than when you'd go to town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they had more love to share. <laughs> I don't know. I never thought about it that way, but. Yeah. But I, I mean, my friend Colin even talks about that when, with food that he eats, that he'll, he'll be, say like, there was so much love put in this meal or like in this loaf of bread of, of just like noticing I don't know. Some people will call it like energy or whatever, exactly. or it could just be care of how much attention to detail someone is exactly. is giving something to give to to someone else. Right. Some people talk about intention. Mm-hmm. You know, they do things with intention. Wow. So when you study with the people that you study with, um. I understand that sometimes you can't separate culture from the religion. Like like we're in Louisiana pretty much we're a hundred percent Catholic. Mm-hmm. And if you're not Catholic anymore, but your grandparents were, you know, you still carry some of that so we don't eat meat on Friday. Yeah. Poor us, we have to eat seafood. <laughs> <laughs> Such a sacrifice. <laughs> so as you travel and, and and work with different herbologists, how or does their religion feed their work or nurture? Influence, yeah. Influence. I don't know. Can you speak to that? Yeah. I mean, there's so many different ways of noticing that. I feel like in some, yeah, in the South, it could be God or spirit and but I feel like what's powerful for me is being able to have a way of interpreting that in any different way that I feel called to um, and not having it being really strict of being like, no, this has to be this or that um, because th- it's so interpretable. Um, uh, yeah. And just being sensitive and aware because there, I've, I don't, um, how do I explain this? But there's, I feel like everyone in some sense is trying to convey a similar thing, like something that you don't necessarily have language for exactly. within religion. Um, and it's not. Okay, let me give you an example. Yeah. Okay, you have the Louisiana healers, which basically have been Catholic traditionally. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have like, Native American healers, which would be in someplace out west where they still live in a tribal way and, and they still have a connection to the earth. And then you have the, the the Appalachian way, if you would, which would be, I guess they're mostly Protestant. I never think of other people's religion. Um, Not that Baptist. it Baptists. A lot of folks in my family are, are old regular Baptists. Okay, so then, so all of those people have a connection with the same earth, but their religions interpreted differently, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, yeah, that's kind of, yeah, we don't have words of similarity, but we're all similar. Yeah. I would kind of just, I try to think about it, like what is driving the bottom line of something? Is it money or is it relationships with each other or is it relationship with earth or is it trying to make it something conf- like resolution in some way or is it 
a status. Like it, things need to be right. aligned at a. So let me ask you this: How important is community in Louisiana and Appalachia, and in that is kind of their bottom. I think That's it's our bottom line. So. It's a huge deal. I feel like community is a huge thing that um, people will come into a, into the South and will um, will say, "Why do you still hang out with your family and all or this and that?" But people had to be really so reliant on each other and hold each other up because that was all that they had. They didn't couldn't call and just pay their way out. It was kind of like if you aren't on a good relationship with your neighbor and something goes down, you're that's it. So exactly. it's there's so much um, community support that holds people together, which I know sometimes could, from the outsider's perspective, could be you're like, oh, this is just this isn't healthy or toxic. But at the it's same backwards. time, they see it as backwards because they don't because they, there's there's no understanding of a relationship with the earth and a relationship with each other who depend on the earth unless you live that. Mm-hmm. It's not about who do you know that you can get a promotion. It's about who do you know that can that can plow a field mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's amazing how that was lost in my generation. And we didn't know what we were losing, and I don't know that we would have stopped ourselves from losing it. But big farms and and... Who farms? Mm-hmm. Who farms and makes a living and raises their family on a farm? That sort of left America. And I think it was, we were close to that because, as I'm, I'm saying, my grandparents were all farmers. So in the generation of my mom, it, you know, we, we, we turned to other ways of making a living, and so we're... We're learning, but in a way, Louisiana is considered backwards. Like some of my cousins that don't live in this state look at us as a third world country, and I'm like, well, that's okay. And Appalachia and its culture is considered backwards. And Native American spirituality is revered, but culturally they have been stifled. So... We're looking at three areas of people who, more than average, I guess, I I don't know if I'm saying anything that's incorrect, it's what I'm sensing or thinking, are still connected to the earth and where they come from. And and it is that that will allow us to remain on the earth and be able to sustain it if we have a connection to it. If we don't have a connection, where are we going? Wow. So have you gone to any places outside of the country to do this or just inside the United States? To work with plants or to work with plants and meet what what outside what countries? Where have I traveled? Well, I, when I was in grad school, I went to grad school in Berlin um to study visual anthropology at the Free University there. And I didn't really get to study that many plants. I would I uh-huh. I would spend time with nettles or um, dandelion at the park, but uh, I haven't been able to do that much herb work outside of the U.S. I was able to go visit Morocco, and I was incredibly 
and I don't know, just at all of how my, how much plants were in their markets and the landscape there is very much, is very similar to the, the Southwest. Exactly. There's, and I study with a herb teacher as well in, in Tucson named Michael Cottingham. And he'll talk about the similarities in, in the landscape and some of the plants that overlap. And it's really fascinating and so cool to be able to learn about plants in one ecosystem and then also know that they're growing somewhere else. And that's the same as in Appalachia. There, Many of the plants that are um, really significant there also grow in China. And there's a connection between tra- traditional Chinese medicine and um, Appalachian um, folk medicine, which is pretty amazing. It's so cool. And here we have um, the European population, mostly French-speaking here, but we also have German, we have Spanish, we have a, a, everyone speaks French because French dominated, but it wasn't a political domination. We have Native Americans, and we also have African Americans. So in our food, we we have okra, which was brought from we have from Africa. We have rice, which came from the Germans, if you can believe that. And and then and then we have what already grew here, which we learned about from the Native Americans, which is like Tupinambur or. Jerusalem artichoke, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so even our even what we cook and how we cook and what we consider to be Louisiana, it was influenced by by plants from other countries. Yeah, even continents. Um, did you ever visit Vermilionville? No, but we will this afternoon. We're gonna go. <laughs> so, I, I didn't remember if I had whatever we had talked about there because I was given a thesis which was written by a Mr. Charles Bienvenu about healing. Mm-hmm. It has like 500 formulas for healing but it also included the plants they used and this was in 1933 so it would be before World War II mm-hmm. and and the plants are, are listed as we call them and then they also have the the biological name the the bond and, the, and then the american yeah. name so you can kind of look at it from three different perspectives so that you can sort of recognize them like we call we have certain names for fish here they call them something else somewhere else so um i gave it to my anthropology professor and he was able to pull together uh bill fontenot who knows a lot about mm-hmm. plants and the master gardeners and they created a medicinal herb garden. And so that's another way of doing what you're doing, is that they studied it, and they owned it, and people can at least go have a hands-on look and see. Yeah. But one of the, um, I don't know, Bill Fontenot said it, and it was funny, he made me laugh, he made everybody laugh. The, the, Medicinal herbs are just weeds. Yeah, they are. So he's like, they wanted me to have this herb garden around the house, but every once in a while I had to put in something we would just recognize as a plant, like a rose bush, because how you get to make weeds look good? Mm-hmm. You know, and there's something about urbanization 
when everybody's yard is a lawn that has to look a certain way to even be in this subdivision that we have lost the wilderness and the reality of how those yards might could serve us. Yeah, what well, I'm the excited landscape. to bring you there this afternoon and and you can see some things that maybe have been used here for a long time that people don't have in their yards because we plant grass and make yeah. everything else go away. Yeah. No, I I know a lot of people won't like this, but I, I really don't like lawns. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> it's like the epitome of homogeneity within within American culture and American landscapes. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's like if somebody shaves their head, instead of letting their hair just grow and be what it is, we shave the lawns and we make sure that nothing is there. So all you see is, we know there's roots and then it's a little bit of like two inches of green. And so we're removing the potential of all kinds of things mm-hmm. that we used to understand. So, yeah, there's, I, I don't know that anything can be done about it, but more people are doing gardening in their own yards, and I think people are starting to come around to that. Yeah. And at least see, it's okay if you don't win the garden of the month. No, totally. Is it usually better if you don't? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's when, well, that's something that Phyllis would talk about, of paying attention of what's growing in your yard. Because sometimes it can also be a, a sign, and I mean, just even a sign of a, the change of season, but also certain plants have certain spiritual kind of meanings of, and and paying attention to what's showing up around you could also and medicinally, be medicinally. Yeah, like I had yarrow that grew around one of the houses. I've moved quite a few times, and it's like I ended up needing. The properties that Yarrow is gives us, mm-hmm. and a friend of mine came about a week ago, and she goes, "Do you poison?" And I'm like, "No," because like I have some dandelions growing. I said, "Well, they'll be bigger the next time you come," because I'm waiting as long as I can to even cut the grass, and and she, I don't know what what kind of what she wants to do with them, but she knows that they're medicinal, so I'm going to let that stuff grow for as long as I can till she comes get what she needs of it. Yeah. Even have pine trees. And when we were invited to go to a studio in the woods and share with each other, we, we made a cough syrup with pine needles. Yeah. That she cooked in a slow cooker. I was, like, so impressed with that. Mm-hmm. Well, I could make a lot of cough syrup. I have a bunch of pine trees yeah. in my backyard. Like, that's just like, it's just remarkable. Mm-hmm. It completely and, changes your relationship to what's around you. Exactly. Even just just being aware. So when I'm adding a few things to the yard, I, I don't want to add a lot of things, and I want to let some things just happen naturally. And kind of traditionally as a child, we didn't cut our grass till after Easter. So we could have a good Easter egg hunt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I play that card every year. I've been waiting till Easter, you know, like even if I live alone and there are no children in the house. So is there anything else you'd like to share about or talk about for the next focus of? Yeah. I mean, it's just maybe we could talk about the time of year. It, 
just was the spring equinox yesterday. Okay. And next weekend is Palm Sunday. Yep. And what do you do for Palm Sunday? Aren't you having a special Dana day? Well, you know, we'll in church we talk about the passion of Christ and it's the big longest the biggest and longest gospel of the year, so we have that. And and it, it brings us closer to the sacrifice that that Christ made for us, spiritually speaking, for those of us who practice Christianity or specifically here Catholicism. And it gets us ready for the Triduum, which is Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday, which are the three holiest days of the year, because everybody is going to die. And we understand that Christ was crucified by his own choice. But the most important Christian holiday is the resurrection. Because in overcoming of death, then we ha- we need to look more to the resurrection than the than the Good Friday thing. So there's mm-hmm. a tradition in my hometown that came from Europe, and we call it Pie Day. And so on Holy Thursday, we make pies, lots of pies. And then on Good Friday, we have an open house, and we give pies. Now, it's become social. In the same way that eating boiled crawfish is social. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that was not really a tradition. That's just social things that have become tradition at Easter. So we, um, Aunt Lite, Uncle Martin Begner's wife, made these pies. And every Good Friday, people would go and have pie for breakfast on their way to work or whatever they had to do. We also traditionally never put a shovel in the ground on Good Friday because it is said that the earth would bleed. Mm-hmm. It is some sort of reverence for Christ's death on that day. So Good Friday was the day where you, you couldn't eat meat, so you had sweet dough pies. We made sweet dough pies because they don't need to be refrigerated. And, and you, you couldn't eat a big meal. We're fasting and abstaining. So you abstain from meat and you only eat small meals. So you had a little piece of pie. It wasn't meant as a dessert or a celebratory thing. It it was just meant to end Lent and start the holy days. So that's a um that's a tradition in some areas. And Greg Garrard also had a pie day in, in Catahoula that had been his mother, I don't know if his mother initiated it in that community but those were two pie days and that's something we do here um so do you know anything specific about this equinox that you can share with us today um they all have different yeah each one is different for me personally yesterday i just had a second line for or my community and i had a second line for my friend yasha who was kind of like a wizard within my friend circle and hearing what you've talked about with death and how they don't, people don't necessarily leave you. They're always present. It feels very, um, feels very real, but in this way that I just want to live so much harder and be so much more, um, alive than ever before. And I think, yeah, death is is really teaching me that. Yeah, and it comes timely. 
And it, there's something, um, I took a course in college called Death and Dying, right? And it was like, uh, it was a sociology. I, I, it's still being taught. Um, and my friend who taught it is retired, but she and I are, have maintained a friendship and and we talk about a lot of things. And in my life, I have been a hospice volunteer and I have experienced death in my family. When you have a big family, a lot of people die that you know. And and she told me that when she began and the first year she taught death and dying, she really thought it was about death and dying. But then the second year or semester that she taught it, she said she realized that the people who took her course were learning how to live. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you just said. You know, you're... You have a friend and you had a second line, which means she died and you celebrated her. But you can live bigger now. Yeah. And and the whole deal of, of Easter is to live bigger rather than be afraid of death. And we, I think we have a ways to go, but we're working towards that. And that's the whole focus of, of the Trudy Woman Easter Sunday and resurrecting that if we know we're all going to die, then we don't have to try to kill each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know? In all the ways. In all ways. You know, who goes first? Who cares? After you, no, after you. It's like that. I think that's a, I think it's just a good way to, like, to that we can, in through this podcast, encourage people to live bigger. Yeah. And more fully. Yeah. And so... Thank you for coming yeah. all the way from New Orleans. Thank you for having me here. You're welcome. It's a beautiful day. Thank you. <laughs> it's lovely to spend time with you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Le Cadeau Podcast. I'm your host, Becca Begno. Matt Roberts produced the show. Thanks to AOC Community Media for the use of their facilities. For information about AOC, you can visit aocinc.org. Thank you very much. Merci beaucoup. The views and opinions expressed on this or any program on the AOC Podcast Network do not reflect the views and opinions of Lafayette Consolidated Government, Cox Communications, LUS Fiber, AOC Community Media, its board of directors, or its staff. To learn more about becoming a community media producer, visit us on the web at aocinc.org.